the Gubby Gubby are the traditional custodians of the lands we record this podcast on. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, as they hold the memories, tradition and culture of this land. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hello, I'm Kate Fisher. Welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, the podcast that tells the survival stories of blood product recipients, to thank donors and to encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets and breast milk. This season, we are also telling the stories of donors. I am building the Milkshakes for Mali movement to bridge the gap of anonymity between donors and their recipients. We saw the remarkable response of our community when our daughter Mali was at her sickest, battling life-threatening autoimmune encephalitis and needing massive amounts of regular plasma infusions. So many people that knew our family became first-time donors or made appointments to donate again after long breaks. So we decided to make a weekly podcast to tell the story of blood product recipients in the hope of inspiring donors all over Australia. If you have been inspired to donate as a result of this podcast or our advocacy, we would be honoured if you would add your donation to the Milkshakes for Mali Lifeblood team. I'll pop a link on how to do this in our show notes. This week, I had the honour of interviewing seven times Walkley and two Gold Walkley award-winning journalist, the remarkable Hedley Thomas. On this week's episode, he gives the most amazing endorsement of this podcast and shares so many words of wisdom about his craft. Headley is responsible for Australia's most well-known podcast, The Teacher's Pet, and its subsequent series, The Teacher's Trial, as well as The Night Driver and Shandy's Story. This is in addition to his long and highly awarded career as a print journalist. When we were about halfway through the first season of making the Milkshakes for Mali podcast, I contacted Headley and sent him a few episodes to ask for some feedback and some guidance. And I honestly didn't expect a response, but he has been so generous in offering his expertise and has kindly offered his time to record today's episode. I give you my chat with Headley Thomas. All right, Headley, welcome to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. It's such an honour to have you on as a guest, particularly when you have so many projects on the go at the moment. I really appreciate you making the time. Well, thank you for having me. I know we started talking about this probably late last year or maybe even earlier, and it's just been a bit of a juggling act to work out a good time for me and for you and when we just have, um, I guess, mental freedom to just, you know, be able to let go and and do this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So you have been part of the Milkshakes for Mali movement for far longer than you, before you even knew that it existed, probably. Um, Your podcast, The Teacher's Pet, was the first podcast series that I listened to. And it really got me thinking about using the medium of podcasting and how it gets your audiences so invested in a story and that maybe my best shot at engaging people in Mali's story and in fact, the stories of so many blood product recipients um, was to do it in a podcast form. What is it about podcasts that create such intimacy between the listener and the subject? I think it is the intimacy and the very personal connection that you feel with the people who, who, you, who you're listening to. So I didn't understand this because 
before the teacher's pet, uh, I'd probably only listened to one or two podcasts myself and didn't appreciate just how powerful they, they could be. Once I started doing episodes of the teacher's pet and releasing these to a growing number of listeners who started emailing me, you know, when's the next one dropping? How long do I have to wait? We've got friends over. We really need to hear it. It's become our weekly, you know, like go to please. And they were getting a bit desperate and I'd never experienced this in more than 30 years as a print journalist working across serious newspapers in Hong Kong and Australia and even London. I'd never had such a reaction as I had with the podcast. And after I did a few more and reflected on it and talked to other people, I realized it was because of the honesty that I feel you get from listening to the voices uh, without distraction. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean the visual aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, When people are watching um, television, I think uh, they're looking at the, the set, they're looking at the actors, uh, you know, are they um, buffed? Are they attractive? You know, too much makeup? What is it? But when you're just listening to the, um, you know, what used to be radio, but now radio is kind of losing so much of its appeal to podcasts, when they're just listening to voices, they can focus. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, um, you know, it's a sort of, a, as someone said to me, um, it's like a theater of the mind, you know, you just get taken away into a different place. And often you imagine people based on how they sound and it doesn't necessarily bear reality when you meet them. <laughs> often yeah. it does. Yeah. <laughs> so am I having that uh, experience with you now, having actually seen you for the first time face to face? Well, yeah, sorry. I probably should have put a comb through my hair and tidied the room. <laughs> Um, so this um, room that I'm talking to you from now was um, my daughter Sarah's bedroom right and I've done a lot of work uh, in Sarah's old bedroom and then in my son Alexander's bedroom when he moved out and shared a house with friends because uh, I think people probably uh, some people probably think that you know podcasters with um, strong audiences have super duper studio setups and you know really sophisticated backdrop and noise softening or buffering i, I don't have that stuff <laughs> i probably should <laughs> i think people could tell actually during the teacher's pet some of the audio was pretty raw and ropey i think we needed that in the teacher's pet though we needed to be taken to that place <laughs> yeah well my husband and i um make this whole po- podcast ourselves so i um write and i source guests and then i host the interviews and he does all of the audio production and it's just, you know, it's our passion project. We need blood, people to keep donating blood, particularly plasma, to keep our daughter alive. So when she has an acute relapse for autoimmune encephalitis, um, intravenous immunoglobulin infusion, which is made from human plasma donation, um, is the only thing that has saved her life. And that's happened quite a few times now. Um, and in the words of our paediatric immunologist, um, every infusion that she has in between is life-preserving. So... We have no cure for her, but we can manage her symptoms um, with 
the plasma infusion. So we just needed to create a platform that people could hear the stories of blood product recipients and to bridge that gap of anonymity between donors and recipients so people could see when they donate blood exactly what the outcome of that is. No, I, I mean, I think it's just fantastic and what an amazing medium for you to be able to mm. harness um, because what was the alternative? Before there was podcasting, you might have produced a newsletter, yeah, um, a printed product. Mm-hmm. and that could have been emailed around. You obviously could have displayed that on a website, but um, you probably wouldn't have the feedback that you're getting from these and it wouldn't be as fun. Mm -hmm. And when you are listening to a podcast, you don't have to be sitting in a comfortable chair. You could be, excuse me, you could be doing the mowing, you could be driving, you could be um, out walking the dog, you know, whatever you like, you could Mm -hmm. be, so you feel like you're multitasking. You don't feel as guilty while listening to something that you might be entertained by or informed by. And um, I think that's, again, one of the great strengths of podcasting. It's the, the versatility that it affords people. Mm. And we've said that too. It's, you know, our opportunity to create community and connection in people's most mundane moments and I certainly found podcasts when Marley was in hospital for months and months and months and months on end and I felt so disconnected from the world Um, and sometimes I wanted to be disconnected because I didn't want to know what was going on in the great things outside like it just didn't seem to matter when my daughter was there fighting for her life and that's when true crime podcasts became a thing for me and I became such a fan because it was so different to what was happening inside the four walls of that hospital room that it really offered me that escape. So yes. we've certainly fallen in love with the medium. Um, find, I'm sorry, you're meant to be interviewing me. I should no, it's know. fine. <laughs> it's the tussle. <laughs> I just wondered whether uh, you find yourself being attracted to and alternately put off by voices. Some voices you like, but some you find perhaps grating and... Mm. I have to sort of really struggle to get through. Mm. I've had that experience with a couple of podcasts. I thought, oh, the story's good, but uh, I'm just not feeling it. Yeah. And I'll respond to that by saying that's the beauty of a podcast like ours because we don't have to listen to it the whole series. It doesn't matter if you dip in and out and listen to half a dozen episodes across a series. Each episode is a documentary in itself so you don't need to listen to all of them and that's the beauty of the fact that you know people could listen to one episode of our podcast and never listen to another episode but if that gets them to make an appointment to donate blood it served its purpose yeah no but I should say and qualify what I meant um every voice in every episode of your series is fantastic and you and your husband have unreal voices I was wondering whether that was a suggestion that maybe the podcast was a great concept but needed no, a new host. So I, no, I could see you wondering that. I could see you wondering that. I thought, no, that's not what I meant. I meant like some <laughs> of the American hosts, they drive me nuts. <laughs> this is why I like to interview via Zoom so I can see people's faces while right. I'm doing recording. Yeah, yeah, you saw this panicked penny dropping. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Um, that's usually your job is to make people panic during your podcast interviews. <laughs> I, I try to be calm. I try you to sort of, um, soothe people mm. unless I've got to do a tough interview. And they're, uh, yeah. when I say tough, I mean a, 
a fairly almost cross-examining type interview. Mm -hmm. Most of the interviews I try to do um, will be ones where I know I will achieve more and get more information and more evidence, more knowledge mm -hmm. by putting the interviewee at ease. Mm. And if the person I'm interviewing sees that I'm relaxed mm. and I'm not threatening and I'm just uh, taking my time, I'm not pushing them and I'm not over-talking them, I'm not over-speaking, I'm not interrupting their answers. That's really important. My father used to get so annoyed when uh, any one of his four children would interrupt what he was saying. And uh, I think that's probably been something I've learned well, that you let people talk. And it's always, you always get more. And the other thing I've, you probably discovered this too, Kate. Um, I've worked out that... Uh, after someone's finished their answer, if you don't come straight back with a new question, if you just pause for a little while, they'll keep talking. And often what they'll say next mm -hmm. is really insightful. Well, there you go. Thank you. I'll pause and I'll let you add more if you need to. <laughs> <laughs> I saw what you were doing there. <laughs> um, so one of our favourite things to do, COVID permitting, of course, is to go into the Lifeblood Donor Centres with Marley and walk the floor and tell the donors our story. Um, and people, regular listeners to the pod will hear at the end, she's got a very delightful thank you for my plasma that she likes to say to people. And that's really created connection with people. You know, people are sitting there donating plasma at the time and I can say there's every chance that next week that will be going into my daughter and that's the reason that we get to keep her. Um, at one stage, she was having plasma infusion three days out of every 10. And that was the only thing that was keeping her earthside. She's very stable at the moment um, and she's actually in remission. So we're doing really well, but this is a lifelong condition. So we could be back there at any moment. <laughs> so the Lifeblood Centres are such magical places. And I believe you've got a personal connection with your mother-in-law having been involved with one in Mackay. Yeah, that's right. And uh, listeners to Shandy's story, which was um, a podcast series based in Mackay, mm -hmm. will get a small sense of this. Um, I met Ruth, um, my wife, uh, it'll be 30 years ago this December. Wow. Um, uh, soon after I met her in Brisbane, I visited her in Mackay. And at that time, her mother, Mary, was the head of the uh, blood bank in Mackay, the Red Cross uh, blood bank, and a very busy um, senior nurse and administrator. Uh, Ruth's father, Ian, uh, um, Dr. Ian Matthewson, was the GP in um, Central Medical Group in Mackay. And uh, Ruth and her sister decided that they would be journalists, and they've been fantastic journalists. But Mary, when she was running the blood bank, uh, was known affectionately as Bloody Mary, of course. <laughs> and she did enjoy a Bloody Mary. Yeah. And uh, Ian, being a, um, a bagpipe-playing Scotsman, uh, preferred the uh, single malt whiskey. Um, but they were very popular and uh, well-known couple in Mackay. Um, sadly, Ian passed away late last year. He and Mary were living with us in a granny flat in our house in Brisbane for the last uh, uh, 13 years. And uh, it's been a privilege um, for that time with them here. And Mary 
is going back to Mackay soon to visit old friends and, yeah. and she's going to stay there for a while and she's looking forward to that. So, yeah, she was well known. In fact, some of the people I interviewed in Shandy's story remembered her as yeah, right. uh, you know, the woman they would um, regularly see and she would be onto them with reminders that they, they, they need to come in and give some blood and she was very effective. Beautiful. And yeah, I've heard you speak so affectionately about them before on your other podcast platforms. So I know how important they have been as part of your life. So thank you for sharing that part of your story with us. Um, You are a master storyteller. And on top of your long award-winning career as a print journalist, the last few years you've made The Teacher's Pet, The Night Driver, Shandy's Story, and now The Teacher's Trial. And they've all been such exceptional pieces of work. It would be easy for people to forget sometimes I think with the entertainment value of podcasts that these are real people that have died and they're real families that have been left behind and you've taught me so much in listening to your podcasts about bringing the listener back to that real need that the stories are great and sometimes that's what engages people but there's you know real people and real families at the other end of that um how do you remind your listeners that these stories are of real people and not just for entertainment purposes yeah, I think tone and empathy are so important. Mm. I hear of and sometimes hear podcasts involving true crime where the hosts the hosts are um, almost engaging in humorous banter about events, mm. uh, about tragic circumstances. Someone's lost a daughter, a sister, a wife, mm. a mother, you know, in really violent, circumstances that's um and it's, th- that can be an important story but it's not and should never be somehow you know a platform for um satire or uh humor uh and you know i know that's at one end of the podcasting spectrum but i think a host sometimes can lose sight of the fact that real people have probably died or suffered mm. incredibly painful um, violence prior to this presenting itself as a story. And you need to have a connection, I think, to the people who you are narrating about, who you have talked to, to properly appreciate this. But even if you can't make that connection, common sense should tell you that, you know, you wouldn't want someone making um, a story about your life or your pain or your family's suffering without them being um, appropriately respectful and compassionate. So put yourself in the shoes of the people you're writing and talking about. And then uh, that doing that, I find... Um, helps to to make it um come become just you know so obvious look to be honest i don't think about how the tone should be directed because most of us just know innately what is the right thing to do you know and um uh unfortunately for some platforms or some podcast programs there's probably been success from having this sort of um, slight shock value. I, 
I don't know, and I wouldn't name them, you know, because I don't listen to them. I don't want to listen to them. I just think this is in some ways trivialising a very serious um, uh, matter and I don't want to support it. But um, I, um, I also, you know, I also take the view that podcasts need to be popular, at least the ones I do, to actually make a potential difference you know one of the yardsticks i apply when i'm looking at um, cases that that i want to consider developing investigating for a podcast can this case be solved or um, is this case already solved if it's already solved and then you know usually to say well why do i need to do this you know, this is this is a case that is well understood already. It's gone through the courts. It's been solved, unless, unless of course, it's gone through the courts and it looks like it's still unresolved, which was what Shandy's story became. Um, so, you know, the first, um, sorry, my first major objective is um, achieving an outcome that is beneficial to society, to the family um and and if that's possible then you know it can sort of go forward but at the same time i want to make sure that the story can have potentially broad appeal mainstream appeal and you know that's a tricky area because you get into a um a place where you could be um seen to be discriminating against some stories because they'll have appeal, um, oh, sorry, because they won't have, discriminating against some stories because they will not have appeal and advancing others. And I think that that's a real risk and you've got to check yourself all the time that that is not becoming a part of your um, pattern or you're part of your modus operandi. But on the other hand, um, if the stories and podcasts that, that I'm seeking to do don't get mainstream appeal, don't get lots of shares and follow on, there's less chance I can get them solved. Yeah. It's the listener connection and the jogging of people's memories or people who have known something and kept it secret for a long time and been guilted by the audio into contacting me. That's the, They're the things that make a difference. So they're not going to happen if fewer people or few people are listening to these podcasts. And that's you know, another kind of filter or um, um, you know, yardstick that I apply before working out what to do. Well, thank you. I think that's a beautiful place to round out the interview. Thank you for telling such compelling Australian stories. Um, you feature very strongly in our household. Um, our soon-to-be 10-year-old on the weekend was very excited to hear that I was interviewing you this morning and that he had to be out of the house. And he wanted to know if it was that man with the beautiful voice. So there you go. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) All three of our children are on the autism spectrum and I can put you on in the background while I'm cooking dinner or something. They don't necessarily hear the content of what you're saying, (laughs) but listening to your voice certainly calms this household down. So um, 
I appreciate your time so much, Headley. It's just been such an honour to have you on the podcast and have you as part of the Milkshakes for Mali community. I'm really grateful and I think what you're doing is amazing. And uh, if you would like to have any follow-up chats after uh, the next series or you want to talk about any of them in particular, I'm happy to come on. Yeah. And I'm just sorry it's taken this long because... That was relatively painless. You're a very good interviewer. Oh, thank you, Headley. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you. This episode has left me pinching myself. To get an endorsement of our podcast from someone of Headley's calibre is just something that Jeff and I are immensely proud of. I'm always so amused when I hear the big lists of thank yous at the end of other podcasts. In our team, there is just Jeff and I but we managed to put out a weekly episode. Having said that, if one of the bigger platforms happens to be listening to this episode and wants to pick up this podcast, we are all ears. Nothing feels more Australian like the modern demonstration of mateship than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift And it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This episode was written and hosted by me, Kate Fisher. Today's guest was Headley Thomas. Audio production by my hubby and Marley's dad, Jeff. To make an appointment to donate, please call Lifeblood on 13 14 95. Our Lifeblood team is called Milkshakes for Marley and we have donors from all over Australia. So please join us and add your donation to our team tally. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please join us on Facebook and Instagram for additional content about our family with additional needs. And we would love to have you as part of the Milkshakes for Marley community. And as always, please rate, share, review, and send this episode to a friend. I'll leave the final word to Marley. Thank you for my plasma.